You are listening to the LA Sports Roundtable. Horns up, Hunter. Get well soon, Ramley. We're going to bring one home for it's you, little man. Squad take. Let's go. Yeah. 48 hours till we back in SoCal. Tail Cincinnati, slow day, roll down. Joey B. Cool, but he don't want smoke now. LA Rams showed up to throw down. You can hear us from the parking lot screaming. Rowdy like Rebel Tans in the trunk beating. Waiting for the doors to open up like therapy. Packed full of passion and emotions, we go deep in. Oh, who left the shrinking? D ain't never shrinking. Always going hard, yeah, through the postseason. Ruthless, savage, you know who the mean is. Going for your quarterback on his back, we leave him. We came back for another meal. Ravenous, imagine us just going for the kill. Do it for the thrill. This team give me chills. to the LA Sports Roundtable. This is the HAF. With me is the Toyonator, Matt Montoya. It seems to me that the Lakers tried to put together a super team this year, but they may as well have called themselves the Orange Men because they're as effective as a Trump University degree. The Lakers are no longer the Lakers. I'm just going to call them the Orange Men because they're in the playoffs right now the same way that the Trump University is in the Final Four. We're here podcasting the LA Sports Roundtable to you from RT1 Studios. Here at the Roundtable, we talk LA sports. To those of you who listen, thank you. And please give us a shout out and a follow on Twitter and Instagram at LA Sports RT1. In this episode, Montoya and I discuss the NFL draft, the Rams offseason, USC commit Aliyah Gale's shot at a party, Trevor Bauer's suspension, and who's the better coach for LeBron James. 
Okay, Montoya, what do you think is the bigger story for the Rams post-Super Bowl? Their Super Bowl victory or the loss of free agents? Right now, I'm going to say the Super Bowl victory. Some of those free agents that they had, take Von Miller, for instance. How many games was he even there for? Um, Like six? So really, the big story is the draft capital and things that they gave up to get the title. They won it in their own home. Um, And now the next part of this is, can they sustain? Are they going to eventually have to pay the piper or can they keep robbing Peter to pay Paul and not have a drop off? What do you think? I think the Super Bowl victory is still important. I'm saying that because going into next season, that's going to make the Rams the defending champs of the league. So that is a badge of honor and they earned it despite the way they did it with the uh, loss of draft picks and, um, you know, an all-star team and, and full of, like, all-stars or pro bowlers at many positions and the free agent acquisitions, you know, such as, like, those players like Von Miller and OBJ. Um, so that title is still a big story. The fact that, um, you know, that's their first Super Bowl in LA, Los Angeles even though they won Super Bowl victories. So I think that is still the bigger story. As far as the loss of uh, certain free agents, so I think that will impact the team going into next season. But I think Les Snead, the general manager of the Rams, and Sean McVay, the head coach, have been very instrumental with um, how they use the draft picks they do have, which they do have draft picks going into the draft this year and they didn't trade them all off. And um, I think that will definitely, you know, um, not like the loss of players like Von Miller, not going to completely impact the Rams as it would maybe another franchise. Well, so here's a bigger question. The league has set up everything with a uh, push for parity. If the Rams can pull this off and still be competitive, you know, two, three, four years after this Super Bowl victory, it would have it would mean that um, the Rams found a system that allowed them to still amass decades type of teams like the 49ers were the team of the decade for the 80s. The Cowboys were the team of the decade for the 90s. The Steelers were the team of the decade for the 70s. But there was no salary cap, so they could just throw money at these teams and do what they wanted. The salary cap was meant to make things equal, but yet if the Rams are still competitive and they're still fighting in the playoffs, you know, getting close to the NFC Championship, if not even getting to the Super Bowl, that would mean that the Rams have found a way to make it happen even in the age of parity, which would be amazing. Yeah, and I think that would say a lot for the NFL if they're able to do that, go on a run here. And uh, I think um, they definitely have the chance to make that run like you're talking about and be, you know, one of those teams for the ages while Sean McVay specifically is the head coach. You know, um, Les Snead, you know, didn't have the same impact as when Jeff Fisher was the head coach. 
um, Sean McVeigh, I think, is the first in primary or primary, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, thing that impacts the Rams uh, on the field as far as all those personnel decisions, you know, because he has an impact with the d- discussions he has with the general manager and less need. Um, they so are you saying that he has an exceptional eye for talent? So he's a great talent evaluator? Exactly. I agree with that statement because look at picking up Cooper Cup. Look, in, look at uh, what happened. They picked up, you know, um, other guys like uh, Sebastian Joseph Day, who they lost, you know, as a free agent. Look, um, Samson Nebukam the year before, you know, who signed with the uh, 49ers. You know, all these guys were late round uh, draft picks and um, including Cooper Cup, you know. So, or, so what look, does that tell look, you other than, you know, just to, you know, touch back on the point of going on this run here, they did extend Matthew Stafford, um, which I think locks in their quarterback, QB1. And if you have the guy you want, and at this point now, we know Stafford has done it and he could do it again, especially with Sean McVay as his head coach doing it in a legitimate manner, not in a Belichick manner. I agree with that. And let's take a look at some of these players that were lost. Von Miller was in Denver, and they pretty much had an all-star team. You know, look at those receivers, probably the best group of receivers in the league as, in, as a whole. Um, then you take a look at the defense was top five throughout the year, but yet they weren't even able to – amass a winning record so I think in terms of what you said about Matthew Stafford being the priority to sign and keep he is he did prove that he is a top tier QB Um, but there's an even more interesting thing in the fact that you know they were able to take someone off the scrap heap like OBJ trade for Von Miller and uh, even with some of the things they were doing in the draft going to places like CSU Pueblo so that way they could pick up players like Morgan Fox. Why is that significant? Not because it's my hometown, but it's basically saying we're not afraid to go to Division Two, to go to Division Three. There is no stone left unturned. And while they did lose some draft capital, I feel like you're correct in the fact that they're going to squeeze every bit of juice out of that orange with the uh, draft picks that they do have. Yeah, and let's you know, let's just consider the moves that they did make, other than extending Matthew Stafford. Um, they signed Allen Robinson from the Chicago Bears to a three-year deal. Subsequently, the Rams traded Robert Woods to the Tennessee Titans for a future, I believe, sixth-round draft pick. Von Miller did, like we discussed, uh, signed in Buffalo for six years and $120 million. Andrew Whitworth retired. The future Hall of Fame uh, left tackle for the last five years has protected Jared Goff's and Matthew Stafford's blindside um, at a top-tier level. Johnny Hecker, also future Hall of Famer, punter, was released, who statistically has knocked in 
many of his punts within the 10 yard line when he's had the chance. Um, and uh, backup linebacker Troy Reader signed elsewhere. All right. I think he, I think he was non tendered and signed with the, ooh, I don't want to say where he, he signed, maybe the Chargers. But at any rate, um, yes, he so, did sign so, with the Chargers. So, this, you know, despite, you know, a lot of these losses, um, there was a pickup of Robinson. They traded Woods, who tore his ACL and missed the Super Bowl run. You know, so you have you have like these these moves to try and offset other moves, and especially if you have guys like uh, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, who both guys have torn their ACLs now, and um, on a reconstructed you know ACL. Uh, Cup uh, won the Triple Crown, right? Whereas Robert Woods, they don't know, you know, I guess they didn't feel as confident or didn't want two guys who could break down, you know, uh, tearing those knees again like Odell did in the uh, Super Bowl, tearing his ACL that he had surgery on previously. Um, You know, you forgot one pivotal piece of the defense that also retired. It was a DB. Excuse, excuse me? You forgot a DB who retired. He was already retired, came out of retirement, and then re-retired. He's more famous. Oh, Eric, Eric Weddle. There you go. Yes, and the impact Weddle made, man. Gosh, can you believe that? That's a story in itself right there to talk about how he did that. Um, and then well, be- he ended up having I mean- to have surgery on his shoulder, you know? Well, let's be honest. The guy is a great leader. He did it in San Diego for many, many years. He did it in New England. I mean, he spent some time in Baltimore. Um, But at the end of the day, the guy's been a proven leader. And that leadership is going to be missed. I understand that he's past his prime and all that other stuff. But it's veteran leadership like that that was able to help push this team over the uh, hump. So... Um, I also didn't know about Hecker, um, you know, losing Greg the leg and now losing Hecker, um, they lost probably the best kicking tandem in the league, um, over the last couple of years. So we'll see how that works as well, but, um, have to give it to, to him in terms of coming out of retirement, not losing a step, being able to pick up where he left off, you know, and have an impact on this team. So, yeah, Montoya, you got it right there, you know, um, coming out of retirement to go on the Super Bowl run and ending up being successful and winning a Super Bowl championship. Um, what a way to come out of retirement and then now call it a career as a champion. And think- if anything, I think that helps Eric Weddle's chances to get into the Hall of Fame. I think he had a good chance to get in the Hall of Fame before the Super Bowl. But what he sure did in the playoffs in Super Bowl this year, I think kind of guarantees it. What do you think about Weddle's Hall of Fame chances? I think his Hall of Fame chances are really, really good. But, um, you know, the Super Bowl and the lack thereof has hurt players. Let's take a look at Carl Mecklenburg. Carl Mecklenburg had a great stellar career. He played every position 
on the uh, on the defensive line essentially he played outside backer inside backer every part of the line i don't think there's ever been another player to do that in nfl history and he is not in the hall why he doesn't have a ring so to well eric go weddle with- now has a ring but that's what i'm saying weddle spent all that time in san diego all that time you know going to new england wasn't able i don't believe he got baltimore, a ring in new england baltimore he went to baltimore Oh, I thought he went to New England as well. Um, he was San Diego, Baltimore, LAR. Okay. So he did all of that, didn't have a ring, and this is going to be what puts him over the top. This is why Dennis Smith is not in the Hall of Fame, but Steve Atwater is, where I see them both as being equals in terms of what they did as safeties. So, yeah, I I 100% agree with you, and I know I'm using Broncos as examples, but those are proven examples. And you know what else will help the Rams go on a run? What's that? Is that uh, Matthew Stafford may be the only returning quarterback, starting quarterback to the NFC West. You have Russell Wilson, not too big of a surprise, you know, um, but still a little bit of a shock that he was traded to your Denver Broncos. You have Jimmy G, who may be released or may um, sit the bench, you know, as San Francisco may go with their uh, draft pick, young draft pick from last year. And you have Kyler Murray, who's saying, if you don't pay me money, as in a big-time extension, I'm not going to play next year in Arizona for the Cardinals. So uh, what that, do you think that could also assist the Rams on you know, um, maybe running it back at least next year and maybe um, a couple years more after that? Well, it definitely guarantees them running back the divisional crown at least. So Drew Locke, while I really liked him in Denver, I just don't see him going up against Aaron Donald twice a year and coming out of that okay, especially with that Seattle offensive line being as terrible as it was um, and his inability to make solid decisions while running. Um, so that that's going to be a factor. So you can count Seattle out just based off of Aaron Donald alone. Um, now let's take a look at San Francisco. San Francisco could be a threat. Um, I'm going to say what I've said since they picked up Jimmy G. You never take a former Patriots player. You do not do it. You don't take their coaches. You don't take their players. Because what happens to them when they're not cheating? They fail. So that is something I said years ago. I'm enjoying telling everybody who I said that to. Yes, I was right again. Because you just don't take New England players or coaches. Unless it's Belichick. Um, And when it comes to Arizona... Um, good for Kyler Murray. I mean, you know, he went to, you know, when he came out of college, he was right behind, uh, Baker and I didn't expect him to do any of what he did. Um, but I didn't expect it from Lamar Jackson either. And, uh, you know, he's worked his butt off. He's earned a contract. He's made Arizona a very competitive team. Um, so I, I 100% believe that he should get paid. I Disagree completely. Really? We're talking about Kyler Murray, three years three years in the league. Okay. Yeah. Three years. First year, 
sucked. Okay. Second year made made some big improvements. All right, but I, I still didn't, don't even know if they made the playoffs in the second year. Third year, okay, uh, they they basically um, lose the division by losing late some games, and um, as soon as they go to the playoffs versus the Rams in the first round, uh, Murray looked like a deer in headlights. And you know what? Um, quarterbacks, based on their position in the draft, that's how they're paid, right? Certain, and it's obviously lower from uh, pick one. You know, based you know on your pick, or, or if you're picked first, you make more money than if you're picked later. But so Murray is um, starter and making a few million next year, and you have Baker Mayfield who may not. You know, but and you know maybe cut, but scheduled to make eighteen million. Um, and he's upset about that, and you can't complain about something the players negotiated about where you're drafted and how much money you're going to be paid or how much money you're paid to your rookie contract. So that's number point number one. Point number two is he's in a three. Uh, he's going to be in the fourth year of a uh, you know, and then they the team has a fifth year option. So, uh, you know, so he's under contract for at least one more year and you could say no, you know, release or the team can say, no, we're extending uh, your, your, you're going to use your fifth year option and then pay him a little less. And he wants, you know, something to be uh, extended now to have an average of at least 40 to $50 million a year. You know, if I'm, if I'm the team, okay, financially, it doesn't make sense. This is the time under a rookie contract, especially where he was drafted and only making a few million dollars in the fourth year of his deal to invest money in other areas to go deeper in the playoffs on your run. I mean, he sucked in the playoffs versus the Rams. They lost, and that's his only playoff experience. You know, I would not send him right now or, or give him what he wants as far as money, period. Well, I'm going to tell you a story as a Broncos fan. 2015, we had a Hall of Fame quarterback. Um, he walks out the door with the, with the ring he so coveted, and we haven't made the playoffs since. We've amassed a great defense. We've amassed a great group of receivers and a pretty decent offensive line. But we could not even amass a winning effing record in seven years. Okay, can I say something? Yes, you you can you can thank your you know uh, prototypical boy uh, you know of uh, sobriety John Elway for that. <laughs> I mean that is that has nothing to do with uh, you know uh, why Kyler Murray should have money. Um, well, wait, I'm wait, saying wait. I'm saying you know what? Yeah, we offer you know you know how many just on the quarterbacks Elway just in the last since Peyton Manning retired, how many quarterbacks have gone through there? It's been a carousel, like you know. Okay, so let me. And then what about what about oh your your boy Fangio? At first, you were like give him a chance, and then you were like fire. You were chanting fire Fangio in front of seventy thousand people. So you know, uh, I, I just let me, you can't let me you can't you can't make that like a justification for Kyler Murray after three years 
to get paid 40 to 50 million a year when it makes financial sense for the Cardinals who are historically cheap. If you know anything about the Bidwell owners, you know, they, they give Al Mojado in Anaheim a run for his money. Okay. I'll say that. (laughs) Well, as far as, as far as owners of sports franchises are concerned, let me finish my point. My point is this. When you have a high-quality level quarterback, you can accomplish things. The point we just made about Matthew Stafford, that other teams who have a better supporting cast but don't have the quarterback are able to accomplish. So if you – if Kyler Murray sits out the year or they trade him, the Cardinals go back to being the Cardinals. The Cardinals they've been since Chicago – and St. Louis, and Phoenix, and now Arizona. They go back to being what they've always been, just a terrible team. This is a team that was the number one seed in the NFC for a good portion of the year. So, and a lot of that comes down to Kyler but Murray's play. They collapsed at the end of the year, Toya. Yeah. They, yeah, they, had, if they, they had a, yeah, uh, a strong run, but they could not finish strong the season and and were destroyed knocked out of the playoffs in the first game they had no chance they did not even put up a a significant fight versus the eventual champions of the world the los angeles rams of anaheim (laughs) anyway my point is having a top tier quarterback gives you a chance And if you take a look at the Denver Broncos post Peyton Manning, the Broncos have not done anything. So Kyler Murray. Because of the prototypical example of sobriety, John Elway. (laughs) Again, yes. He didn't draft Tim Tebow. Um, That guy, the guy who did that is now in Las Vegas. I can't wait to see him destroy this team. Um, But uh, he did draft a guy who is still better than Tebow in Paxton Lynch, but not much. And then he uh, passed. Run, Tebow runs on water. Throws if, if, duck. He was, if he was uh, Native American, his name would be runs on water, throws wounded duck. Now, John Elway also had a quarterback in his backyard who is now one of the top threats in the league in Josh Allen, and he wouldn't draft Josh Allen. He barely even gave him the time of day. And it was to go from Denver to Cheyenne is well, old, like well, an hour and a half drive. Well, it wasn't like um, uh, Wyoming was the, uh, you know, was a powerhouse uh, university. I mean, sometimes you, you don't have faith in those guys, but look what happened to Carson Wentz. You know, he's had, had uh, I wouldn't say he's been successful, um, but he's been successful enough to get that uh, 140 or $130 million extension so that uh, teams are now trying to, you know, trade off to each other. So, you know, um, they have buyer's remorse immediately after getting him uh, see Indianapolis. But um, well, I, I would say that I, I would say that uh, Wyoming is a better school in a better conference than Memphis, which is may as well be division one a. Yeah, you know, so maybe he felt like he got screwed with Paxton Lynch and didn't want to go with Josh Allen. 
and you can't blame him for that. And it's, it's, you know, not like, um, just because you're, you're, uh, early first round pick that you're going to pan out, you know, see Jamarcus Russell, Russell, see Achilles Smith, see Tim couch, see Ryan leaf, you know, uh, and the guy we drafted who's worse than all of them, Tim Tebow. Oh yeah. Right. Now, um, Oh, I had a point I was going to make, and it left my head. It's completely gone. See ya. So, so, but I'm sure you're probably thrilled that uh, Russell Wilson is leaving the NFC West and entering the AFC West, which is the division oh. of your Denver Broncos. And um, my question for you regarding the Russell Wilson trade is, will this now make – the Denver Broncos, a Super Bowl threat in the NFL. Yes, it does. And it makes the AFC West one hell of a complicated division in terms of looking at the QBs. Even the worst guy that we have in the division, um, the guy who plays in formerly known as Oakland Raiders, is still not Los Angeles. shabby. <laughs> of Anaheim. Anyway, Derek Carr isn't the worst possible guy, um, but he came from Fresno State, which is still, I'd say, lower rank than Wyoming. Or uh, if you want to know irony, there was a point in time where the Broncos were scheduled to draft Russell Wilson, but Elway didn't want to touch him because they felt like he was too close to Tebow and what he brought to uh, the table <laughs> is isn't there irony to that? Well, there is if that's true, and but you know you got right now, um, Seattle with two first round picks, number nine overall this year, and a twenty three first rounder, two second round picks, number forty overall pick this year, and a twenty three second rounder. This uh, year's thank you, thank you round. Rams. Those are the this Rams. Year's, this year's fifth round pick, tight end Noah Fant, quarterback Drew Locke, and defensive end Shelby Harris. Now that's a big get for the Seahawks. And, uh, I mean, I don't, I still don't think that's going to make them, uh, you know, getting those players even and draft picks. Um, I think, you know, immediately they're going to go for a quarterback, even if they do start Drew Locke this year. But um, going forward, I don't see them as a threat to the Rams in the NFC West. But uh, for the AFC West specifically, you know, um, I think I think it's going to be interesting to see Russell Wilson in the AFC West. Um, I think he can be successful if he can be successful in Seattle with the rain, you know, and all that. I think he could be successful with, you know, um, maybe the snow in Denver and um, the loud crowds and all that. Um, and uh, he wants he thinks 
that he can do it. And um, I don't know if it immediately makes the Denver Broncos a Super Bowl contender in the AFC West because you do have a competitive AFC West. You did say it is complicated. It is indeed complicated when you have some uh, teams with quarterbacks like, you know, decent quarterbacks like a Herbert, like a Wilson, like a, uh, um, uh, Mahomes. you know, Mahomes Carr. and uh, David Carr. So uh, um, immediately everybody's going to point to Mahomes because he's the first 50 million guy a year, you know, and, um, and uh, winning the Super Bowl and all that. But um, was that going to be like an early career victory only sort of like Big Ben? Will Mahomes ever be the same? Can he, you know, is uh, have uh, teams figured him out? Coordinators, defensive coordinators figured him out. David Carr ha- has reached Big. the peak of what he well, can do as far as a quarterback on the football field, but is still a decent enough player, okay, to have lead your team that can that is consistent and if you have a guy who's consistent you know um you're hoping for more better days than bad days and leading to leading or ending to with a uh 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 win loss record good enough to enter the playoffs and then see how far you know if you get it lightning in the bottle like uh sort of um jeff hostetler with the new york giants you know that's all the raiders wait wait that's all the raiders got Okay, the Chargers are I think are interesting with Herbert. All right, your Joey Herring, formerly named Joey Harrington 2.0 by you, Montoya, and um, <laughs> and uh, but they barely missed the playoffs last year, and I think they're hungry. And if Mahomes sucks or not sucks, but um, um, isn't as good as he was, you know. Um, I think I think it's up in the air between um, at least three of those four teams, but you never know. The Raiders still can make a run for it. You never, but I highly doubt it for that division. Okay, now there is one major. There's two major things that happened that allow me to disagree with you. Um, I do believe that the Broncos had the best defense in the division. Um, they haven't lost a lot outside of Shelby Harris from that de- that defense. And Shelby Harris was on the last year of his deal, most likely wasn't going to re-sign um, with the Broncos. So um, in terms of ge- using him for Russell Wilson, that was a perfect trade. Now, w- one thing that happened in Kansas City is they made a trade with Miami. Do you know who they traded to Miami? Tyreek Hill. Yes. And then the Raiders did a very similar trade, but instead of losing a um, big time wide receiver, they gained Derek Carr's old college teammate who he has a lot of familiarity with, who is also a very, very explosive receiver from Green Bay. So I think, and um, I'm probably going to eat crow for this, but I think there's going to be um, a little bit of a switching of the guard in terms of teams aren't going to take Mahomes as serious without that super deep threat of speed um, with that loss that they have. And I think that people are going to underestimate Carr a little too much based off of the chemistry that he has from college with his new receiver. Um, 
But I could be wrong. We this is why they actually play the games, right? Yeah. That's the right. Chargers, the Chargers had an opportunity to get into the playoffs and they made a stupid, 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 stupid mistake. Um, we'll see what happens um, if they can avoid mistakes like that. But they are a very good, solid, upcoming team. However, their receiving core is getting a little old. <laughs> Sneeze at 39.04. <laughs> Bless you. But um, this is going to be the issue with the L.A. San Diego Padres Chargers um, is that they are going to have some receiver issues with the age of Keenan Allen and company getting up there in terms of NFL years, which is like dog years. They're going to be a little bit behind the eight ball because they're going to be losing some weapons in terms of um, their wide receiver core. And uh, they haven't really had much of a tight end um, outside of Antonio Gates in the last few years. So um, Father Time is kind of catching up with the Chargers because I think that it was Phillip Rivers who had the rec- the current receiver core for their peak. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it will be an interesting offseason. It will be an interesting NFL draft. Let's see if there are... Um... You know, some uh, good clips we can talk about from the NFL draft. And, uh, but other than you know, that. You know, there's there's one more interesting tidbit I'd like to throw out there. I think that this is going to be one of the worst drafts outside of uh, a couple of positions here and there that we've seen in quite some time. And if you were to take a look at um, the Broncos' first round pick from last year, Patrick Sertan, I think if he'd have stayed at Alabama one more year, he probably would have been the top overall pick in this draft. Um, So when you look at it from that perspective, that the Broncos essentially got this year's first overall pick with last year's first pick, it's a hell of a pickup and uh, it just goes to bolster and um, add to the reputation of the Broncos current GM. And that's going to play a factor in terms of playing against the Chargers, who, like I said, are running a little long in the tooth in their receiver core, and that's going to have a direct impact on on uh, who I wanted to call Joey Harrington 2.0. Agree or Solid. I, I see, I think, to be determined, you know, and we'll see once the season gets going, and... Uh... Uh, sometimes it'll take a few weeks before, you know, we see how team season will go. And, uh, I mean, they're not all going to win the division, that's for sure. And, uh, but, uh, that Russell Wilson trade impacts NFC West and the AFC rest in a tremendous manner. I think it assists the Rams hopes to run it back and uh, to be consistent or to be um, significant the next few years as far as making a run 
for championships. And uh, if they, and I think with Sean McVeigh in the lead of that team, I think uh, they have the best chance to do that and make uh, go on this run and uh, really make Sean McVeigh ending up the, uh, you know, the future uh, name of a trophy in the NFL one day. No, I, I definitely agree with you. If he can keep that eye for talent going, he's going to uh, making some serious headway. It's just a matter of have they basically mortgaged the future and is it now time to pay the piper? But, you know, one thing you have to give McVeigh is he had an, a huge, huge opportunity to, to cash in with Amazon and he didn't take it. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I heard about it, but at the same time, you know, um, if he does win another Super Bowl and if he does become that legendary American uh, icon NFL coach in history, um, that money will be uh, available when he does decide to retire one day after multiple championships. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for being with us. The HAF here with the Toyonator, Matt Montoya. Coming at you live from RT1 Studios again. And guess what just concluded Montoya, the NFL Draft. 2022 NFL Draft is in the books. Rams did not have a pick until 104 the third and, round and i just want to say thank you very much as a broncos fan the first pick we had was uh from you guys thanks to von miller so thank you we turned that into a very good pass rusher and so some interesting headlines about the nfl draft montoya number one starting with uh one quarterback drafted in the first round? Do you think that's a headline? I do. Um, uh, it was the hometown kid from Pittsburgh going to going from Pitt to the Steelers, something that Dan Marino had always dreamed about. Um, didn't quite work out for him, though. But uh, I, I do find it interesting. A lot of people were saying that from the quarterback perspective, this draft is going to be a huge letdown. And um, based off of where the quarterbacks were drafted i'm gonna say outside of the steelers i think everyone agreed it is very obvious all the teams agreed that the quarterbacks were going to be a letdown montoya and uh what which makes what about which makes that pittsburgh pick a little bit more questionable don't you think yeah but i just don't believe that they feel like they have the guy that they want on their roster to replace ben so they were willing to take a reach yeah, but it's big reach. You know, if you think about it, I, I mean, uh, no other team uh, even uh, yeah, drafted a quarterback. So, Well, I, I kind of feel like it's what the Broncos did with Tim Tebow. You know, they could have got him in the fifth round and they wasted a first-round pick on him. I don't well, know if you remember that, that draft in the, back in the day. And how did that work out for the Broncos? 
Tim Tebow I mean, took him to a playoff game and won. Uh, Von Miller won that game, not Tim Tebow. Let's be honest. Well, come on. You know, uh, he had to throw some footballs that looked like a wounded duck to accomplish that feat. Yeah, and Pittsburgh was to like, we. Demarius Thomas, RIP. But um, remember, Pittsburgh was like, yeah, you can't complete shit. We're just going to put 10 people in the box because we know you're probably going to try to run it. And that broken clock was never even right a second time, just to give you an idea of how bad that guy was. And I'm a diehard Broncos fan. And I know that that's one of the worst picks, one of the worst wastes of a first-round pick in NFL history. Well, overall, I mean, with all these picks uh, in, what do you think about like some of these uh, players who were drafted in their positions, such as the Jaguars getting uh, the number one pick again and drafting Trayvon Walker? Well, it appears uh, to me number one. It appears to me that the GM and the owner were at odds with each other, and the GM won, which I find interesting. But it makes sense because who's going to be the one being evaluated at the end of next year, especially with the way that uh, things went with Urban Meyer? That GM is on the hot seat. So if he wants to save his job, he needed to uh, pick the player he felt was best. <sighs> Excuse me. Not the player that the owner felt was best. So I, I, felt, I feel that was uh, – it was interesting. It was an interesting infight, though. What do you think about the fight? Well, I mean, I don't know. We'll see in a few years how it count, like the real impact of it. But uh, something else I noticed, Montoya, is uh, doesn't look like your Denver Broncos had a first round pick. No, we did not. We sent that to Seattle. For Russell Wilson. And I'm going to say it was a very good choice. Mm-hmm. You Unless know, the, the thing... Russell Wilson starts missing games for, uh, you know, big chunks Injury. for the first time in his career. We will see, but I don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. I do find and it interesting that the Rams were still able to get eight picks. Eight picks and the Rams reacquired cornerback from the Cleveland Browns. Player the Cleveland Browns signed last year. Troy really? Hill. Who was? I did not know about that. And the Rams uh, did not pick uh, until the third round. Pick 104. And you know who they picked? Offensive lineman guard Logan Bruss out of Wisconsin. Wisconsin. The pick I find the most interesting is going to be the Karen Williams. A You're running back. You're talking about Karen Williams, the running back out of Notre Dame. Yes. That is definitely who I'm talking about. Um, he looks like he's going to be the right player for the West Coast offense. He's going to fit in 
with uh, the players you guys have. He's going to be he's going to be able to mix in with Sony Michelle and um, wow, what is his name? Your starter, Cam Akers. Cam Akers. He's gonna he's gonna mix However, in well with those two. Sony Michelle's a free agent. Oh, so he'll be a good replacement for Sonny Michelle. So they have Daryl Henderson, Cam Akers. Looks like they want to get some depth with this pick in Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame, which uh, indicates the Rams do not have a lot of faith in late draft round pick from uh, last year, Jake Funk. Hey, he wants the funk. Give him the funk. But I just so, don't know if that's going to work out. Fifth round pick. You know, so they must have had uh, some confidence in Williams to get him in the fifth round, if you think about it. Uh, what about, what do you think of the Rams pick in round six at 211? Quinton Lake. Safety out of UCLA. Is this some late round Pittsburgh imitation with getting a, you know, a player from a hometown university? You know, it's interesting to me that you say it like that because his last name is Lake. And you know what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of Carnell Lake, who played for the Steelers. And was also a uh, a safety. Well, but, let's see if this oh, guy Lake you know can do you know anything what? for the Rams. I just looked him up. He's the son of Bruin and Pittsburgh Steelers legend Carnell Lake. So it's interesting <laughs> that you brought up the Pittsburgh connection because he actually is the son of the Pittsburgh safety Carnell Lake. <laughs> what are the odds on that? That was just random, I'm sure. I'm sure you didn't know that he was the, the son of Carnell Lake. I didn't no, know that. I, 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 I don't even know who that player is, to be honest, you know. But uh, the fact Carnell... that uh, Lake has uh, connections through his dad, uh, you know, could be good, even though he's the late round pick, get those uh, secret tips from his dad. Well, maybe a diamond Car in the rough. You know, the Broncos had a first-round uh, corner pick last year. And I would say, based off of just lineage alone, this is up on the same level. I don't understand how this kid dropped as far as he did because if he's anything like his dad, his dad and Rod Woodson were probably two of the best safeties in their era outside of Dennis Smith and uh, Steve Atwater. Like, Carnell Lake was a really good safety. And the fact that somebody picked up his son, um, I don't know. I, I think they got a bargain. I'm going to have to talk to uh, my UCLA connections with uh, a friend of mine from high school whose son plays on the team and uh, find out what his issues were. Mm. But Carnell and, Lake uh, was a very, very good safety, if you don't remember him. Well... The Rams picked up uh, another member for their secondary. Also in the sixth round at pick 212. So they had picks 211 and 212. 
At 212, they got Darian Kendrick, cornerback out of Georgia. So, is it obvious the Rams are trying to shore up their secondary? Yeah, and, uh, you know, there were so many Georgia picks in this draft that, um, well, I think the Rams got to the party a little late in terms of wide receiver and um, DB. It is interesting that they uh, were able to pick up a Georgia safety just because Georgia has had such an amazing draft this year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, towards the end of the draft, they did pick up another safety in Russ Yeast. Yeah, so that makes four of their picks for their secondary. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Two so... offensive linemen and a corner uh, – two, two offensive linemen and a running back with uh, – the rest of it was all straight defense with a big focus on the secondary. Uh-huh. Yeah, and one edge player. I think their last pick. Uh, AJ Akuri is offensive line. So they were able to get a defensive end, Daniel Hardy, just before uh, Yeast. All right, yeah, so that's what I was thinking of. Wow, what do you think about a, a guy from Montana State? Do you think he has a chance of making the team? Um, you know, when it comes down to looking at players and getting value late in the, in the game, the Rams have kind of been playing this game for a while. Um, and I think that, uh, if anybody can figure it out, it's your head coach and your GM. Well, I think you're right. I mean, you know, and uh, and uh, I don't know if this is the nice time to segue into um, the uh, cockiness of the Rams front office and head coach. (laughs) But I know you want to make some comments about in regards to some draft night footage at a mansion uh, draft night party at a mansion the Rams rented just for the occasion. So, Montoya, um, yeah, do you think since the Rams have been at it a while, finding these diamonds in the rough uh, in the late rounds of the NFL draft, that uh, and after winning the Super Bowl and our current defending champions of the world and for all of uh, free humanity that, um, you know, uh, they have a right to be a little bit uh, uh, cocky in their draft night display with some of the these comments specifically that uh, Sean McVay made about New England Patriots draft pick, Cole Strange. Well, you know, I was listening to a Denver radio station while the draft was happening, and McVay wasn't the only person saying that. There's a person who I listen to who I put a lot of credence into, and his name is Cecil Lammy, and he was basically saying, I don't understand what the Patriots are doing other than panicking 
because there was a big run on wide receivers in the first round. So they moved up to take a guy from a small school um, because uh, he was utilizing that as being the counter argument against what the Broncos did because while there was a big run on defensive linemen and edge rushers, the Broncos stayed put with where they were and they got the guy that they wanted. And then they came back and turned it around and got the tight end that they, the second tight end that they wanted because they weren't able to get the guy that they initially wanted. Um, so I actually think it turned out pretty good. Um, but to go back to your Montana question, um, if you take a look at the Chargers running back right now, he's from Colorado. He went to Western State in Gunnison. My cousin played quarterback there from 94 to 98. I'm sorry, 95 to 98. And he didn't have any scouts looking at him. But yet this guy, Eckler, comes into the NFL and is dominating. So if someone from Western State can come in and be a starter and be effective in the NFL, I'm not going to overlook anyone from Montana State or even Colorado State Pueblo. So, and, you know, the Rams have been pretty good about finding those diamonds in the rough, like Morgan Fox or look at Tom Brady's center, who also came from Colorado State Pueblo. So I am not going to uh, talk any trash on anyone just because you just never know who's going to have the heart and who's going to put in the work. Well, I am. I'm going to talk some trash, Montoya. <laughs> and you know what? What kind of trash? <clears throat> I'm going to talk. Daniel Hardy at pick two, 235 out of Montana State. Um, I don't think has much of a chance and, you know, I mean, um, I know you said, like, the Rams have had success with these late-round picks. But, um, I mean, with that late of a round, there's no guarantee, especially in round seven. Okay. Um, he's 6'4", 249. Seems like he has – or actually, no, no. I think I'm looking at the wrong Daniel Hardy here. Um, sorry about that, but, uh, nonetheless, you know, someone who is six, three and 223 pounds. I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, six, four and up, maybe six, three at a position like that edge rusher. Um, yeah, I think he has an uphill battle. You know, can uh, McVeigh and company um, build Hardy, Daniel Hardy into a player that uh, they want to keep? I think, uh, yes, they have that ability. Um, is it always a guarantee? No. You know, especially if you're a seventh rounder. Well, let's look at Morgan Fox. Morgan Fox was picked up as an undrafted player. And he managed to make the team for multiple years 
And there was even an article written one month ago, um, and it is taken from um, Brett Studer of Fansided, and he's saying that Carolina cut Morgan Fox, and he'd love to see them come back to the Rams. How do you feel about that? Sure. Um, I think for his role and um, being like a, you know, a spot player in situations or relief of others and not playing that much, um, eating the couple million that Carolina was paying him uh, ended up to be too much for him. Um, you know, now that um, the dust is sort of settling and, you know, we'll see where these uh, other, you know, undrafted free agents will be going. Yeah, we'll see where Fox ends up, you know. Um, and he can be that valuable contributor like he was a couple of years ago. He missed out on well, a ring, though. I mean. <laughs> it's unfortunate for him that he missed out on the ring, though. But, you know, um, it's still a pretty amazing story. And Carolina made a mistake. But then again, what does Carolina do best? Make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would love to see Fox come back, though. I, I would love to see him be back on a championship team and uh, doing well. And um, so what do you think about the attitude uh, on display draft night by McVay and uh, GM Les Sneed of the Los Angeles Rams? I actually just thought it was funny. Um, I do think that you shouldn't be going on any type of telecast as a coach if you've been drinking, because you could clearly tell they'd had a couple of drinks. Um, And I definitely don't think you should be talking shit just because, uh, you know, you never know. That player could end up being a Ram at some point or something, or that could just come back to haunt them in one way or another. And I just don't think that talking shit was the right way to go. But hey, who am I? Well, I think um, they have every right to be uh, proud winning the Super Bowl. I agree with that. And our current defending champions. And um, I don't think um, anything was completely disrespectful that... um, was on display it was just a uh, cocky humor and i think they have every right to do that tennessee chattanooga in the first round tennessee chattanooga in the first round i mean that's essentially what they said um so yeah it was very very cocky and i just kind of feel like that kind of cockiness can sometimes come back to bite you had they done it off camera with no cameras around, it would have been completely fine. But to do it's, it on camera like that. It was funny. It, it was funny. I'm just saying things like that have a tendency to come back to bite you in the ass. Mm-hmm. I hope I'm wrong because it's the cheaters. And I love seeing the cheaters being in disarray. Well, I have to give you um, a chance 
to say some comments about Denver Broncos draft picks. Correct? I, I'm sure. I'm more than happy to talk about that because I feel that George Payton did an amazing job. Um, I'm not panicking, staying true to where he already was, sticking with his plan, getting a great edge rusher who's going to contribute right away, turning around and getting Dulcich, the tight end from uh, uh, UCLA, to replace Noah Fant. Um, he's going to be a beast, even more so than Fant, but I just don't know if Fant never really materialized because he didn't have a good quarterback throwing the ball to him. But I think he's going to be a better um, tight end than Fant was. And uh, we were able to get some quality players in the later rounds. Um, we were able to – there's one corner that we picked up who should be a pretty good slot corner. Um, but I'm – and there's another one who, that we picked up who's a really, really good tackler. I just feel like he's going to get schooled against some of these teams in the AFC West like Kansas City. I feel like we made a mistake with uh, a couple of those guys. Um but we'll see with uh, professional coaching. We'll see if they can get these guys up to speed and where they need to be. Mm -hmm. But I, I feel for the most part that the Broncos got some very, very um, solid draft picks. And they were able to even – they had a second, third-round pick. Um, they were able to trade to the Colts for a fifth-round pick this year. And uh, the Colts' third-round pick next year, which should be significantly higher than their own third-round pick. So it won't happen until next year, but it will be very good draft capital for next year on what a lot of people might consider to be a premium pick with uh, a third-round pick. So I feel like George – or I feel like Peyton did a lot of uh, really, really, really good things in terms of not panicking and uh, being able to stay the course and get what he wanted. Oh, we picked up a punt returner. We got another small speedy guy who I don't think is really going to contribute much as a wide receiver. He's just going to be a super speedy kick returner. Well, you know why those third-round picks are so valuable? Why is that? You still get decent players in the third for, round. for a percentage, you know, of the cost compared to the first-rounders. And they you may know, look at Cooper Cup was a third-rounder. Yeah. Right? Very, very so, true. So, you know, the Rams loved his rookie deal. We were able to pick up a DB from Pitt. So us and the Steelers picked up players from Pitt, which I find interesting. He is going to be a decent uh, – he's a really good tackler. I'm just worried about him um, when it comes to coverage. It's going to be – No, he's actually the one who's solid in terms of uh, being the slot. It was the other corner that we got who needs to really be coached up 
on uh, coverage in the NFL, but we'll see what happens with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fayon Hicks, that's his name. Cool name. So that's the that's the biggest pick that I'm worried about is he's he, I'm really worried about him being in even though he's really there for depth and special teams if not just to be a camp body um, if he does make the team and he actually makes it on the field against say Kansas City they're going to target him all day that's the biggest weakness that I have I think we have in this draft but he was a seventh round pick so what do you expect right. Like what I was saying earlier, which you disagreed with. Yeah, because, but again, because McVeigh, anybody who who touches McVeigh is, you know, becomes God, right? Well, it's not so much that. Like, look at Morgan Fox. I feel like Morgan Fox had a is a productive player. Um, who even you as a fan are saying I'd like to see him back. He was an undrafted player. This kid, just because he's from Montana State, um, doesn't necessarily mean he's going to fail. Do I think that you're correct in terms of looking at him from the odds because of Montana State? I mean, who did he play at Montana State? He didn't play any real quality opponents. But again, I just feel like McVay has the credibility with that eye for talent, or I guess I really shouldn't say McVay. It's going to be your GM just really knows how to grab those diamonds in the rough. And uh, until I see what what he's actually going to do with this guy, I'm not going to write him off just yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just Montana State or not, I'm not going to write this guy off. The one guy, though, that I think is going to surprise everybody now that I know his lineage is going to be Lake. Lake is going to be my new favorite Ram unless they bring back Fox. And like I said... You know, some of these guys, like, or if they're undrafted free agents, dust to settling. We'll see what happens after that. We will definitely see. Now, this is off topic, but I'm just curious as to what your perspective is. Where do you think Baker Mayfield's going to land? I think he's going to be in Seattle. That is a good question. You know, Seattle may want him. And why would they trade for him if they know that Cleveland's most likely going to cut him um, yeah. when they can get him and not and keep all their draft capital? So I just kind of see that uh, the Baker Mayfield is going to end up being in Seattle, and that's just going to be the end of it. But I could be wrong. Um, I really don't see – and re- if you remember I said this when they signed him, I really do not see Jimmy G as anything more than Ryan Tannehill. And so well, he is not going to be. Know, you know where he could also go? Who's that, Jimmy G or uh, Baker? Baker. Where's that, the 49ers? No. What about New England? Ooh. They like players who, well, I think they're, they're pretty set on Mac Jones. Yeah, but uh, Bella, Bella cheats ties to Cleveland. Yeah, but he has stronger ties to Alabama because Nick Saban was on his staff in Cleveland. So the fact that he picked up Mac Jones and he came from Nick Saban, 
um, he knows that Jones has the work ethic that he wants. He probably had long conversations with Saban about him because he knows Saban so well. Um, okay, I really don't see them moving on from Max talent? Jones. What about talent wise? And I still think that uh, as far as Belichick is concerned, Mac Jones is the superior talent. And remember, the Patriots prefer more of a work ethic and being more of um, an edger. And what I mean by that is, let's take a look at some of these guys that I would call over-obsessed football players. We need to go back and take a look at uh, the NFL historically and some of the players who ended up on the Patriots. Um, Harrison, he was a, a DB from the Chargers. He was a guy who I think was just one of those tweeners. Like he was always looking for, or an edger. He was always looking for some kind of an edge. Teddy Bruschi, another guy who I would say was probably an edger, meaning he was completely obsessed with football all the time. Didn't enjoy any of his time in the NFL because he was always worried someone's going to take his job. Um, and you kind of see that with how they evaluate players now that they're both commentators. I just can't think of the guy from the Chargers who went to um, the Patriots as a DB. What the heck is his name? Rodney Harrison. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just – I kind of feel like a lot of players that come out of Alabama – they're broken down. Nick Saban runs those old school NFL type of practices. It's what makes the, the players so successful on the field. But by the time they get to the NFL, they're all used up. Look at Tua. The guy's breaking down like he's 45. Um, I just, I, I, but I feel like it, it's that same mentality that um, Belichick wants, likes, and needs. And so I, I feel like they're going to stick with Mac Jones until Belichick is gone. Well, you know, um, with that point you said about um, Tua, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and remember, I said that was going to happen. Well, no, I mean, when he uh, entered the draft, he was recovering from like a severe hip injury. Yes. Um, which is like, you know, not a normal injury. It was like a pretty major injury. So, um, and his style of play, he does, uh, you know, take a lot of hits. So, um, he's just not built for that, that type of punishment either. Well, yeah, he might I mean, be, you can, you can might only take so much. Mullen. So, so Alabama, yeah, definitely um, used him up. They don't care. They don't care. Um, just uh, you know, not looking out for their long term, the players' long term futures. No, they're looking at padding Saban's pockets. Yeah. Well, other, you know, they're. Um, other interesting uh, stories other than the uh, NFL draft, Montoya. And a uh, couple interesting stories. I know you wanted to touch on. There was a girl, Aaliyah Gales, recovering from being shot 10 times at a party. Signs national letter of intent 
to play for USC women's basketball. And so that's uh, very interesting after being shot 10 times, Montoya. And then, of course, there's another interesting story that is uh, in regards to another um, negative uh, story out there for the Dodgers with Trevor Bauer and his two-year suspension. So a lot of stuff going on there, Montoya. Where do you want to start? I want to start with Miss Gales. Now, the reason why I even want to talk about this is we have reached an age where college players are able to make endorsement money now. And I already feel like there's a big, huge discrepancy between men and women's college sports. Now, there's also the known cultural difference in terms of pay between men and women. But how is this going to affect her ability to make endorsement deals just basically for being a person of color who happened to grow up in a bad neighborhood and was shot multiple times? Like, is this going to be one of those things where uh, companies are going to avoid her as if she's the female version of Jared because they don't want to be associated with someone who was shot? And what I mean by that is, if you remember Jared Fogel from Subway, he ended up uh, being convicted of child porn. Um, and I just kind of feel like having this in her past may cause companies to shy away from even considering her um, when it comes to the endorsement piece of this. And I just feel like that's a shame. Like, she shouldn't be judged on the fact that she happened to grow up in a bad neighborhood and you know, was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Well, you know, the first and foremost thing that we should all be thinking about is the health of this girl and that she gets better and recovers 100%. The the potential impact is, yeah, she may not be able to play at all as of five days ago. Um... She did not have any feeling in her legs and uh, just recovered some feeling in her arms. So that is a very, very sad story out of Las Vegas. Commit to USC, Leah Gales. Yes, and, and again, it's still... If she goes through all the work, she's able to recover and Everything else, like I'm, I'm extremely excited for her in terms of that, but I still am just, uh, I still feel like this keeps kids of color at a disadvantage in terms of the endorsement opportunities. So that's that's the part that I'm a little bit, just I don't know, I, I it really bothers me that something like this, in addition to the physical pain and everything else, could come back and haunt her. So that's the other piece that I really dislike. Yeah, well, no. Something like being shot 10 times is seemingly so traumatic. That's going to be um, with this girl for the rest of her life. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, hopefully she gets the right to uh, live her life with 
you know, the ability to walk and run and all that. But uh, that's just so unfortunate. Absolutely. But yeah, I just wanted to talk about that just because it's like, you, you know, um, there's so much going on in terms of the opportunity for endorsements for male athletes. And then you add this in and then the fact that she got shot and everything else. I'm just hoping that not only does she make a full recovery, but that she doesn't have any financial loss from this either. Cause it's just too, it's just extremely sad. So I just wanted to comment on that, but I think we can go to the next um, item on our list, which I believe is out of context in terms of, what his suspension ended up being, but um, I'll let you comment on that first or give the background story. Well, as we all know, Trevor Bauer hasn't played a game for the Dodgers since June of last season. He has been accused by multiple women of sexual misconduct he fought the charges, was not brought up on, um, you know, or to trial on anything by the DA of Los Angeles County and uh, wanted to continue his baseball career. Subsequently, Major League Baseball suspended power <coughs> 324 games or equivalent to two full seasons, which coincidentally covers the last two years of his contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers that they don't have to pay now. However, Bauer has appealed the decision and wants to get the suspension lifted or reduced, obviously. Two, 324 games. Major League Baseball argued that was justified because they don't have to have um, any conviction. No league for, does. For discipline in their um, sport. So. This, and we don't need to get into the, the details for what Trevor Bauer is accused of. I mean, what, you know, what we've heard and everything is um, horrible. And I don't think we need to get into the specifics of that, Montoya. But um, we all know it's very, very bad. And uh, the way... Um, uh, He's reacting is he shouldn't be suspended at all. He just had unconventional uh, sexual relations with these women, but not un not unconsensual <clears throat> sexual relations. And uh, Major League Baseball is saying, you know, because um, even if it's consensual, I believe they're saying that, you know, uh, even if it's consensual, something about um, uh yeah, the harm that was involved. So, 324 games, two full seasons. Essentially, his uh, Dodger career is over. And 
maybe even his baseball career, Montoya. What do you think about 324 games for Trevor Bauer? Well, first and foremost, I think that there should be some kind of suspension just because domestic violence is a terrible, terrible thing. However, I it's um, if you're not convicted of something in a court of law, where do we draw the line? And I'm a staunch, staunch liberal, but where do we draw the line in terms of punishing someone for something? You know, this essentially could take away his livelihood and there were actually no charges. Like, where do we, where do we draw the line with that? Like, um, I understand what he did was bad, but at the same time, if it was worth, if it was worthy of taking away his livelihood, um, wouldn't he be doing some jail time? That's the part I don't understand. Yeah, but, um, the thing is, he has text messages, you understand, of these ladies saying, you know, choke me out and whatever. So that, so the fact that there's evidence of uh, any type of, you know, strangulation and he has those text messages, I mean, I think made, you know, um, helped Bauer because um, otherwise that clearly is um, evidence of assault. Yeah. And uh, uh, he should have been serving, um, you know, a slight sentence right now or a big sentence. I mean, depending on uh, everything else that really happened. But that, that's so, my point. So, but, um, but the fact is that, yeah, but there is evidence of that type of conduct taking place. And and uh, and also he had his evidence of those screenshotted uh, text messages he posted on Twitter. So um, the, the interesting thing is that are you going to look at it like because they, he wasn't charged – and uh, he had unconventional type of sex, sexual relations, which involved, um, you know, consensual actions of inflicting pain. Are you going to look at that as because, because it was like that, that um, um, he still harmed someone and he deserves to be punished to the fullest extent by Major League Baseball? Or that it was um, unconventional but consensual so that uh, and he wasn't charged he should continue his career is it just cut and dry one or the other or is there or some some other way to look at this Montoya well I believe that uh, no league should allow any type of harm that comes to anyone not go punished however to as you said, these were your words, and I agree with you. This could be the end of his career. Um, I still believe that in this particular case, these women, he has text messages where they said, yeah, do this. I want this. I like this. And then they're turning around and saying he went too far. Um, 
Yeah, but I, I don't... let me say something. If you have women who you're just uh, uh, using, okay, who, you know, women you don't even know who are just throwing themselves at you, right? Yeah. Shouldn't he be smarter than uh, just saying, oh, okay, I mean, uh, fine, and then, oh, and then claim um, innocent when uh, they cry foul? A hundred percent. And, you know, he's 31. He's old enough to know better in terms of that. Yeah, he shouldn't just be going out and meeting anybody off the street and then not expecting them to do a money grab. Um, You're a hundred percent correct with that. I mean, the guy has been in the majors for a while and he should know how to protect himself. But I just don't believe that he should get it this level of um, punishment because it was documented that they were consensual with it. Like there has to be a point. He should get something. No league should condone any type of violence against women or anybody else. I just don't know if his full career should be taken away from him when this was um, probably just as shady on the part of the women as it was with him. They were looking for a payout potentially, and you're 100% correct that he should have done more research and should have gotten to know these people a little bit better before he did what he did. Well, because of the negative aspects of everything in regards to this case, and uh, uh, the awkwardness of him returning to the Dodgers at all, to get paid like what you know 60 some odd million dollars uh, over the next two seasons um does he i mean does he deserve that versus uh not getting any of that um i mean if i have to choose i'm gonna say you know what he when you're a professional athlete playing a kid's game you have to be an example, especially a role model for those kids who look up to you, all right, and beg their parents to spend money on tickets to watch you and buy uh, uh, clothing with your name on it. He has that that moral responsibility as uh, uh someone privileged to and fortunate to play a game that so many of us grew up playing and loved and are unable to play professionally for millions of dollars. So I have no sympathy at all for him. Okay. And, uh, um, uh, just coming back and, um, acting like nothing happened. I think is uh, uh, not possible and it's better for him to go somewhere else, even though, you know, he is a decent pitcher and won the Cy Young in the, uh, you know, 60 game season that the Dodgers were the champions of uh, due to the pandemic. So, um, I, and by, by 
the fact that he's now suspended, I know he's going to fight this, but uh, they, yeah, they let the Dodgers off the hook for the remainder of his salary. And um, if uh, anybody wants, uh, after two years, to deal with the headache of uh, signing him and having him on the team, uh, he's he's going to get a minor league invitation or minor league contract with an invitation to spring training, and that's it. Go ahead. And you that's know, what he deserves, and that's what he deserves, Montoya. You know – I hadn't really thought about the example that's being set for young kids and especially high school aged kids who are kind of entering into something similar to what he's doing in terms of, but they're young enough to not know better. You're a hundred percent correct in the fact that those, that group, the high school aged kids, the high school aged males are the ones who really need to learn this lesson as well. That's an aspect of this I hadn't thought of. That's actually a very, very good valid point. So uh, I'm going to retract my statement because he does have a wider audience beyond himself that he needs to be held accountable for because he does have influence over those young boys. You're 100% correct. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, thank you, number one. But... um... It's just it's just hard for him to just come back, okay? Uh, and obviously, since he hasn't played in a while, but all these decisions are new, so and I think that needs time to just uh, let everything settle as well and just be like, okay, yeah, you know, I, uh, once it's over, go with someone else. But uh, do do you think? After appealing a suspension, that some of it will be reduced, Montoya. Yeah, and I was actually hoping for that initially, but thinking about the overall trickle down effect from that with the kids and everything else, that's a really bad idea. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Wow. I really, really. Uh, I'm glad that you pointed that out to me because I hadn't thought this through as well as I thought I had. I didn't think about the influence on the kids. And that is the uh, biggest piece that really needs to be thought about. Yeah, you know, you just have to be held to a higher moral standard if you're in that role. And uh, uh, you're in the spotlight. So, but uh, no, I 100% agree with that. From that, now that I've, you know, we've talked about it from that perspective, it's actually a great call. Right on. What do you think about this? Is something that we uh, didn't get a chance to talk about in the first part of this podcast. Um, as a Lakers fan, how do you feel about the implosion that happened this year? I think it's horrible. Number one, they gave they caved into LeBron's power control and influence that he has had the majority of his career except for when he was with the Miami Heat. He acts like the GM. He wants his guys brought in 
and look at the result, you get uh, you can't even make the playoffs. Now they sacrificed all their depth to be able to afford Russell Westbrook, trading Kyle Kuzma there. You lose a big, big person who can is explosive with uh, the ball, can dribble, dunk, shoot the three, working on his defense. In addition, you lose Alex Caruso because you That's don't want to pay boy. him. You don't want to pay him the four years and thirty-six million that the Bulls paid him. Okay, so that's another key member of debt. They didn't play uh, – they got Rondo back. They didn't play him. Okay, signed Carmelo, who sucks, who sucked for years. Okay, oh, but that's his boy. He wants his boy, right? Who who else do you end up uh, signing? Okay, and over the hill, Trevor Reza, who didn't play – first half of the season because of his ankle and then once he was able to play you know uh, obviously uh, couldn't play anymore um, you got uh, Dwight Howard 3 plus 9 equals 12 D12 you have uh, uh, DeAndre Jordan who they ended up uh, letting go okay that didn't work out you know and uh, uh, so you basically lost um, a lot of depth and the guys you brought in were over the hill, veterans. Kate, your boy. And all Kate. that youth, all that youth, that was your depth. And then signing THT to an extension, who and he basically regressed this year and was injured. Um, cost, uh, yeah, and uh, it was basically you know because of LeBron. Cost Frank Vogel his job, and the Lakers didn't make the playoffs. Oh, and of course, with the Anthony Davis, who's always injured now, you know, after winning the championship, it's like, can't even stay on the court. So, and he sacrificed a million draft picks just to get him. So, I think it was a disaster. I think uh, uh, Rob Polinka needs to, you know, not succumb to the demands of LeBron James and his uh, represent- representation, Rich Paul. So do you think uh, they need to try to work something out with uh, Golden State and see if they can get a haul for LeBron? No. No, 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 no. You keep LeBron. You have LeBron retire as a Laker. Okay? Um, Now, the thing is, you need a healthy Anthony Davis, healthy LeBron, but you do need to trade Russell Westbrook. You're not going to be able to get a Kyle Kuzma back. But you no. need to be able to get something or just offload him um, because he's not – he's he was an uh, ill fit with the team. It did I not work. It just did not work. And if it did not work, get rid of him. You know, uh, he only has that one year, even though it's like 40-plus million. Um, somebody can benefit with uh, uh, from his style of play – even if, um, but I mean, if, if the Lakers have to, I mean, I don't know. I think it's very possible that they could just release him and, um, or try to buy him out of the last last year of his deal so he can sign with some other contender. What do you think? I don't know. I just, I'm 100% in, in agreement with you that uh, 
they they completely destroyed this team. And AD is also just killing me. Um, I I don't know. I just almost feel like you need to pull what the Miami Marlins did and just get rid of everybody and start all over. No, you you, you still just won a championship with these guys two years ago. Okay. Um, the thing is, you you need depth. You need players around you who are not just fill-ins, okay, and that you'll handle everything, you know? No, you need some guys who could come in and make an impact right, right away, immediately, once they get on the court. I just, I, I just don't know what they're going to do, especially when you look at some of these salaries. Like, you have to get rid of Westbrook. If you can get rid of what rid of Westbrook and you can trade him and even get some draft capital, that's going to be a huge win. Yeah, so that's going to be the trick doing that. Number 1. Do you think that they will trade Anthony Davis? No. No. You're invested in those guys, which is why you gave him those uh contract extensions. Uh and you know, all all they need to do is to shore up their bench, okay, and and just – I don't want to say completely go youth movement, but you can't go nothing but veterans like they did last year and signing only veterans, okay? And Carmelo Anthony, who um, – No. He's just not meant to get a ring. Him or Westbrook. Yeah. Yeah, like I mean, it sort of cursed your chances there, just bringing him on. So, uh, and also there are reports today, Lakers are are looking to hire Quinn Snyder. I think that's a joke. Um, I hope I don't know. I don't. I don't really want that to happen. Um, I think he's a little weird, you know. But honestly, uh, you want to know who I think they should hire as the coach. And I think he was only kidding, but I think he holds enough swag that he could actually get this team in line. And uh, it would be Shaq. No. (laughs) I don't think Shaq would be a good coach at all. You know, maybe an advisor. I I wouldn't say GM, just an advisor to the GM. Um. But that's it. Mm-mm. No. You know. They need someone who has the credibility to put LeBron in check. And I just feel LeBron, like. LeBron, look, at this point in LeBron's career, he can't be put in check. You just got to find someone that will, that is able to deal with him when he gets all like just LeBron, you know? <laughs> Right? No, you're 100% correct because there's when he's motivated, like when he won in Miami and then went back to try to make things right with Cleveland and won a championship there, he's unstoppable. But once he gets into LeBron mode, you're 100% correct. He's almost like a cancer. 
Yeah, right. He's too entitled once he gets into that that mode. So, Montoya. Um, do you do you think that they could go with what Meta World Peace said in terms of bringing back the triangle? Yeah, I think I think they could do it. Well, and, and one particular, you know, and if you have some, if you have good shooters, it can definitely help out kicking it back out for the three, which is all you know, like um, basically what Steve Kerr did for Phil Jackson and the Bulls, like, but uh, you know, a lot more often with the the three point heavy philosophy of the of the league, you know. And that's another thing well, that, I like about the Frank Vogel's offense is just, okay, let's um, dribble it down, shoot a three, you know, bring it back, shoot a three. All right. Okay. Try and get a rebound, shoot a three. Like they just had no offense, no flavor to it. Just shoot a three. That was it. So. I, I I just don't know. Um, I I don't know if there's a coach who's just not going to be overrun by LeBron unless it's somebody like a Phil Jackson. Yeah, I don't think Quinn Snyder. If they're talking really, those reports are true that they the Lakers want to interview Quinn Snyder or get him. Um, I don't think he and LeBron would mesh at all. Nope. Not at all. I, well, you know, Phil, he even managed to uh, get under Kobe's skin. So if, mm. and I feel like Kobe is a hundred times more disciplined and, um, you know, more team oriented than LeBron. I, I just feel like Phil has the credibility to uh, hold him in check. But, we could go round and round about this all night. It's all a matter of what's really going to end up uh, happening. And I, I agree with you that Snyder is not the right fit. Can, do you know of anybody who you suggest that would be the right fit outside of Phil Jackson? Uh, that's a tough question. I mean, first name that comes to mind would be Monty Williams, but he's in Phoenix. You know? Uh when Tyrone think, Lewis talking shit, it's out of control. Yeah, I don't know about Tyron Lou at all. Um, I, I you know what? I I, I want to say maybe a Derek Fisher. Oh, yeah, I could see that working. He, he's coached the Sparks, and uh, you know, um. It is the head coach experience, and I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't he mind could, seeing that at all. He, and he I think I think he'd ability. be able to. I think he would know how to talk to LeBron because he had to talk to Kobe. You know, so that that's a good that I like that, and you're 100 percent correct because he had to be able to communicate with Kobe and make it happen. So yeah. I'm 100% with you on that. I think that's a good way to uh, segue to the end of the show, I think. Um, I think we've covered our list of topics. Is there anything else you wanted to bring? 
Ah, so no, no, who's better today, huh? Um, I don't know. I think we kind of beat that to death in terms of what we were talking about with the Lakers. Who's better in terms of being able to handle LeBron? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, who he's had, what, Luke Walton for a year and then Frank Vogel for three. And, you know, Vogel did end up getting a ring, but I really honestly think that someone who knows how to manage that type of personality like Fisher is a great idea. Um, the other name that came to mind was Byron Scott, but I, I don't know that no. he would be able to manage that personality. Nah, nah, I don't think so. Uh, I think Byron spoiled his chances last time he was with the Lakers and Kobe, so as a coach. So yeah, I, I, I do think Derek Fisher would be the right guy. He has that that Laker attitude. He has that Laker experience, but I, I think that's a good who's better. Who's going to be the better coach for the Lakers, as opposed to who will they actually hire? And I, I'm I'm going to agree with you that it's going it would be Fisher. Well, we gotta we gotta start a hire Fisher campaign online, everybody. Everybody. Do you think Derek Fisher should be the next head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers? Put on Twitter at LA Sports Roundtable RT or LA Sports RT1. Hashtag hire Derek Fisher Lakers. Yep, I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to start that as soon as we uh, wrap up. All right. I'll check. so that's it for today everyone thank you very much for giving us a listen if you have a question you'd like Toya and me to discuss please let us know and give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at LASportsRT1 until next time take care